Church family, as you find your place, will you take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Psalm 98. I want to wish you a happy new year. It is, we've made it to 2021. Uh, here's hoping, uh, right, that this one's a little better. And that's going to be actually somewhat of our subject this morning. Uh, starting next week, we will be back in Genesis. We were in Genesis for about six months in the end of uh, last year, the second half of last year, and have about six months left before us in our uh, origin series in Genesis. And so I will pick back up after uh, finishing that uh, brief Advent series in John 1 uh, last week, uh, but I'll pick back up in Genesis next week. But before we do that, I wanted us to start 2021, start this new year on as joyful of a note as possible. I just thought that would be good for us. I thought it would be good in my sermon preparation. I thought it would be good for us as a congregation, for us as a people, whether we are gathered in here in person or you're joining us uh, online. I think we could all use a little joy this morning. So I read through Psalms and uh, looked through my own personal notes of, because uh, I've read through the Psalms numerous times in my life and in my study Bible, just have uh, margins full of notes and found one uh, amongst many, really, it was kind of hard to choose, but found one that I just thought, this is uh, a joyful psalm, and we could have some joy together this morning, uh, spending some time uh, in the psalms together. So we'll do that in uh, Psalm 98 this morning, and then begin again in our series in Genesis. I'll invite you to stand with me uh, as I read all of Psalm uh, 98 this morning. This is noted just as a psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous psalm and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the song of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let us pray together. Father, we ask you here in this first Sunday of the new year that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would bless your church that hears it, that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes to the joy that is a new song in the Lord, a joy of our own salvation, a joy that spreads around the world, a joy that will culminate with the return of our soon coming King. Let us together this morning sing a new song in this new year, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A new song for a new 
year. You know it is a bad year when one of the most Google phrases in the last week has been, was 2020 the worst year in history? I Googled that. And here's what I found out. It was bad, but historians would say it was not necessarily the worst. They do, though, I found this interesting, tell us what some of the worst years in ages past have been. For instance, medieval historians say the worst year during that period of time, during the Dark Ages, was 536 AD, when a volcano in uh, Iceland erupted and covered much of Europe, North Africa, and Asia in a haze that lasted for over a year, killing crops, plummeting temperatures, causing a worldwide economic disaster that did not recover for a century. You move forward into 1347, where the Black Death, the plague, ravaged Europe. When it had finally spread throughout Europe, as many as 25 to 50% of the entire population of that continent was dead. In 1520, one that was not talked about so often in Western civilization, Spanish conquistadors landed in Mexico and brought with them smallpox. And as smallpox spread throughout what was known then as the New World, it killed, historians tell us, maybe as many as 90% of native peoples. 1918, just 100 plus years ago now, the end of what was at the time the greatest war the world had ever known. American soldiers brought back with them the Spanish flu which unlike COVID-19 spread especially among the young, those 25 and under, killing over 50 million people worldwide, 675,000 in America alone. And fast forward to the last year where we, for the first time in our lives, experienced true global pandemic We saw on our TVs and in our streets injustice, social unrest, political turmoil. And just because we roll our calendars from December 2020 to January 2021, it does not mean that it is all over. I woke this morning to a uh, notification on my phone. I get news notifications on your phone. Many of you likely do too. And the news notification I woke to on my phone this morning was that the death toll due to COVID-19 in the United States has now eclipsed 350,000 people. They still can't seem to agree on anything in Washington. There is still great turmoil in our society and rolling into a new year will not solve that. But in the midst of all of this, what what many of us would say was the most difficult year, at least societally for us as a people, was this one bright piece of news that came out just a few weeks ago, just a week or so before Christmas. The national uh, polling agency Gallup, who's been taking polls now for decades, has for a very long time polled people on their own mental health. And as you would expect that uh, as, as this poll has asked people about how they view their own mental health for uh, n- a number of years now, as a society, we are at an all-time low. And you say, well, I thought this was some good news. Well, we are at an all-time low in the United States as far as mental health. 
every single demographic that was surveyed was lower across ages, across socioeconomic status, the employed, the unemployed, the Democrat, the Republican, the independent, every race, except for one demographic, those who attend weekly religious services. Those who attend weekly religious services were actually up. In the United States, that means the vast majority of whom would attend weekly religious services would be Christians. Not only was this the only demographic in the entire study that was up, it was the highest of all. Meaning this, money didn't help you last year. Social status didn't help you last year. Who you voted for for president didn't help you last year. But being around the people of God did. Why? Our world will dismiss this out of hand, but we should ask the question, why? Why are we the only demographic that actually improved our mental health as everything else around us fell apart? It is because we as Christians have learned to sing a new song in our hearts in the midst of trial that defies the logic of the world while everyone else is falling apart. We are not because we cling to something that is not of this world. And in the midst of all of this turmoil, we can sing a new song of joy because God has placed that song in our hearts. What we see here in Psalm 98 is this new song. It is a psalm that is written with, the, with intentionality to build from a small group of people to a universal song. It is a call for all the earth and truth, all of the universe to praise God. It begins, there are three stanzas of this psalm. And the first, the most narrow, is a new song for victorious salvation. First verse reads, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Like so many other psalms in the Psalter, this one begins with a call to worship, a call for the people of God to worship their God. This is not the only one that begins, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And this invitation, this call to worship, to sing a new song to the Lord is not a call to sing a new in the sense that it was just written song, but it is a new song in the heart of the singer. It is a call to praise, to sing a song of praise that is rooted in the new mercies of God, which the scriptures tell us come to us fresh every morning even in the midst of difficult times, maybe especially in the midst of difficult times, we should look to the marvelous things that the Lord has done. And that's what the psalmist is calling us to. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. No matter which of those years I began this sermon with, There should have been Christians in the midst of them 
singing a new song of joy from within their hearts because God has done marvelous things in their midst. And we too, in the midst of difficulty, should have a new song in our hearts because we must all confess that God has done marvelous things in our midst. And the most marvelous of them all is the one that the psalmist highlights for us, the salvation that he alone works. There is nothing more marvelous. There is no more marvelous work of God, at least from our perspective, than the one that caused us to come to faith in him. The work that he did for us through the person of Jesus Christ dying in our place so that we might live We sing a new song to the Lord because his marvelous work in salvation is for us. In all three of these verses in this opening stanza of Psalm 98, we read the word salvation. There in that last line of of verse one, his right hand and his holy arm has worked salvation for him. In verse two, we read, the Lord has made known his salvation. At the end of verse three, we read, all of the earth have seen the salvation of God. This word that is translated in our English Bible, salvation in these three verses is a big word in the original text. It is a word really that we should see having a double meaning depending upon one's own perspective. It depends upon your view of what the work of God is, is how the original readers would have understood this word for the friend of God, for the one who has been saved, for in the context of Psalm 98, for the house of Israel, it is truly a word of salvation, a word of rescue, a word where God reached into their lostness and redeemed them. But there is also another meaning of this word from another perspective, not from the one being saved, but from the one who is not being saved, from the enemy of God. While the friend of God will view this word as a word of glorious salvation, the enemy of God will view it as a word of conquering victory. That this is a word of victorious salvation of which God alone can work. You notice that in verse one, right? That the work of salvation is wholly a work of God for God. The end of that verse, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. Do you notice that he didn't need our help in working salvation? Do you notice that this wasn't a team or a group effort? This was simply God doing what God alone can do. And it is for God. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. It is for the glory of God that he has chosen in this age to redeem sinful man, to be a part of his family, that we might bring glory glory to him. So this victorious salvation is wholly a work of God. And then verses two and three tell us that this victorious salvation is not a secret that is to be kept, but is to be declared to the nations. The psalmist continues, the Lord has made known his salvation. 
He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. When we return to our Genesis series next week, we will return right in the midst of the story of Abraham and Isaac. We will actually see the birth of Isaac next week in that series where God is keeping his faithful promise to Abraham, a promise that ultimately ends up with all of the nations of the world being blessed. And this was the intent of Israel in the Old Testament, that they would be a set-apart people of God there in this tiny little corner of the world, but one by which all of the nations would view and see the goodness and the salvation of God. And they have all seen it. The Lord, through Israel in the Old Testament, declares his salvation to the world. And the Lord, in the New Testament time, through the church, does the same thing, declares to the world that God saves. It is not a secret that God is victorious in his salvation. It is intended to be the most proclaimed message on the planet. Psalm 98 actually has a companion psalm. It's a little longer. I preached it a few years ago on one of our Pray, Sin, Go mission Sundays. It's Psalm 96. Psalm 96 also calls the, the, the worshiper to sing to the Lord a new song. But then it says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. You see, Psalm 96 tells us something that Psalm 98 assumes we already know. And that is that the message of salvation is declared in our world by the people who have been saved. It is through the victoriously saved that the victory is proclaimed. God uses us, those who he have redeemed, to tell those who are yet redeemed that salvation is available for them in Christ Jesus. So while you may look around our world and in this modern pandemic and economic uncertainty and political strife and and you may be drawn in your flesh to hand wringing, I would encourage you today, Christian, to view your salvation, this marvelous work of the Lord And sing in your heart a new song. For if you are redeemed in him, you have the greatest joy of which to sing about every day. And you have the greatest message to declare to the world as well. As the psalmist calls us to do. As the psalmist promises us will happen. All of the nations will see of this great salvation. Then in the second stanza, This call to praise broadens. And and this is a logical progression, right? There is a people who is saved in the Old Testament, it's the house of Israel. The New Testament, it's the church that we then are redeemed and we then declare this salvation to the nations. And then what happens? There's now a new song for global praise because the gospel spreads around the globe. The good news and hope of the salvation of the Lord found in Jesus Christ spreads throughout the world. And so now, instead of there only being praise in certain places, now there's praise 
everywhere. Verse four tells us, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Now that the people of the earth hear the good news, they are called to join in the praise. The same invitation that we see, the same call to worship that we see in verse one, sing unto the Lord a new song is just poetically restated in verse four. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. But instead of it just being the redeemed who are called to praise, it's now all who have heard the good news are called to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And just as the song is not necessarily new, as in recently written, the noise that you make to the Lord may not sound joyful if we are judging as they may on some type of singing competition. However, it's joyful from our hearts. It's a joyful noise from our hearts because we have heard this gospel message and have believed it. And so we do what the psalmist does. We Gentiles, people of the world who would have been excluded in the time of writing of Genesis 98, but are included now in Jesus, break forth into joyous psalm and sing praises to him. Verses five and six continue, sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. This stanza is describing melodious music to us. As I've had the opportunity to travel around the world and to worship with people on uh, just about every continent where there are people who worship, One thing I have learned, music is very different from one culture to the next. And and music is very influenced by culture. And so this isn't prescribing to us in our culture today to worship musically in the same way that they would have worshiped hundreds of years before Jesus in Israel. But it is describing the kind of worship that they had, this this melodious music and the the lyre and the trumpet. These were musical instruments that they would have used. We use the musical instruments of our culture today, just as African and Asian and South American churches use the musical instruments of their culture. So this isn't a mandate to use some type of specific instrument, but it is a description of how the people of God around the world worship together. And then notice who we worship. We make joyful noise, verse 6 tells us, before the king, the Lord. Now, Psalm 98 is a psalm of worship, but it is talking of God clearly, but also in view, there is a coming Messiah. We as a New Testament people are looking back upon that same thing that Psalm 98 was looking forward to and we know who that Lord is. Philippians chapter two tells it to us very clearly. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who is verse six calling us to make a joyful noise before? It is calling us to make a joyful noise before Jesus our King. 
And hear me clearly today. He is the king of both the saved who have been redeemed, who look on that word salvation and see it from a friendly perspective. And he is the king of those whom, with whom they are a, still a slave to their sin in the world and would view him as a conqueror. Regardless of how you view Jesus today, my friend, he is king. And you will one day, whether you do it today or not, you will one day recognize him as such. But hear me. Oh, there is great joy to be found in recognizing Jesus as king today. This is why the one demographic to see an increase in mental health over the last year is those who gather weekly to worship God because there is great joy in the recognition of the one true king of the universe, Jesus Christ. And the scripture is clear. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will one day recognize this truth, but find joy in the new song of recognizing that truth today, of being a friend of God, one who is rescued from sin and self and brought into right relationship with him, and he places that joy in your life. Our third stanza has an even greater call, a call not just for one particular people of God, a call not just for the peoples of the earth, but a call for an entire universe, an entire creation to sing because God will judge the world. Look at verses seven and eight. Let the sea roar and all that fills it the world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy. The rest of creation does not praise in the same way that humanity does. Humanity was called to praise in that second stanza in a way that was culturally significant for us. Creation is called to praise in a way that only creation can. How does the sea and everything that in it praise God by doing exactly what God created it to do? How do the rivers and the hills praise God by doing exactly what God created them to do? Verse nine tells us before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. So all of creation is worshiping the Lord who now comes to judge. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, we may see some kind of disconnect here in this final stanza of this call for creation itself to worship the Lord, and yet this also looking forward to the judgment of God. What's the connection here? Well, let's start with judgment and work backwards. Here's what we need to all understand. Judgment is coming. Now, we say, now, pastor, I thought you said you picked the most positive psalm, most joyous psalm that you could think of. There's 150 of them in here. You had to pick one that talks about judgment? Yes, because judgment is not intended to be seen as a bad thing from the perspective of the one who is saved. From the one who has experienced the salvation of the Lord, 
Judgment is something that we are called to worship God for, just as creation itself worships God for it. You may think, maybe you're in here today, someone invited you here, maybe you're watching with us online right now, and you may think that you will never be held account for the things that man never finds out about you. But the Bible promises us over and over that that is a false hope. In Ecclesiastes 3, we read, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of judgment, even there was wickedness, and the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. You see, in Ecclesiastes, an Old Testament book, the, the, the author there is lamenting the fact that those who should judge in righteousness were actually judging according to wickedness. And it seems fairly similar to what we experience so often in our day today. And that has been the case since the fall of man. People have called good evil and evil good, even in judgment that was considered righteous. But not the Lord's judgment. The Lord's judgment is righteous. The Lord's judgment is, it says there in verse nine, that he will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity, meaning God's judgment, the judgment seat of Christ will be perfect. This is why we are called to praise it because it is not the judgment of man. It's not the flawed judgment of our own minds. It is the perfect judgment of God. And so, okay, well, fine but what does that have to do with creation? Why does the psalmist connect those two things? Because the creation that God made is longing for that day. Because on the day that sin is finally judged, creation itself will be restored to as God intended it. Romans 8 promises this. We read, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly, eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Listen, creation and we alongside of it await the day that God sets all things right. For God to do that, it requires the judgment of the wicked. For God to do that, it requires the judgment of sin. And so judgment should not be seen in a negative light of those who are redeemed. Judgment should be something that calls us to join in with creation itself and worship God Four, we've just ended the Christmas season and what is considered by many to be the most popular Christmas song, we sang it here together as a congregation. It is the most published Christmas song in American history, American publishing history at least. It's a song written in 1719 by a man named Isaac Watts. It's Joy to the World. Now you may not have ever been in church before, but you likely know the song joy to the world. Do you know that joy to the world is based off of this psalm? He, he wrote that song, which we consider a Christmas song, after reading Psalm 98. The second stanza of that 
psalm reads, joy to the world, the savior reigns, let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. You see there in that song is a call for man and creation to worship together because the Savior reigns. Isaac Watts ended his song in the fourth stanza. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. He ends with judgment, just as Psalm 98 ended in judgment. And do you want to know the truth of it? Joy to the world is not a Christmas song. That doesn't mean we shouldn't sing it at Christmas. It's a fine song to sing at Christmas. We sang it this Christmas. If the Lord tarries, we'll sing it at the next one too. But it is not a song of the first coming of Jesus. It is a song of the second coming of Jesus. It is a song that tells us that a day is coming where our Savior will wholly and fully reign, having judged sin and death, and all of the nations will see his righteousness. So what? A question for us, Nansman River Baptist Church, on this, the first Sunday of this new year. How will we, Engage in the mission of God to declare his glory this year. You see, this great joy that we experience as the saved, redeemed people of God, and we're called to sing this new song, this great joy then that we see as the gospel spreads around the nation, this great joy that we experience as we look forward to the judgment seat of Christ, all of that calls us to mission. All of that demands that we recognize that God is concerned for his glory amongst the nations. That God is concerned for his glory in every person's mind and heart. And as God seeks to declare his glory, as Psalm 98 so eloquently does, we are called to join along with him to proclaim the good news of salvation to all who will hear it. That is our mission. We simply stated here at this church like this, we are driven by our mission to make disciples that make disciples. A disciple is a fully formed follower of Jesus. And that is what we seek to do together. And so I'll ask you, how will you do that? 2020 was a difficult year in many ways for us to do that. And yet we still saw it happen in our midst. 2021 may not be better. This thing may not go away. We, we may not be able to do things that we have so often done in years past. But I would ask is this, will we be ready? Are we right now in our hearts ready to declare this new song to anyone who will hear it? A little over a year ago, we began an initiative here called Who's Your One? And who's your one was a challenge for every person in this church to think of one person in their lives, not five, not 10, not 20, one. Anybody can do one. One person in your life that you would say, this person needs to hear about the good news of Jesus and that you would commit to pray for that person and pray for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So many of you did that, but it's now been about 16 months since we started that. And let me ask this question, how's it going with your one? 
Some of you have come into the life of our church since then, and, and maybe you never heard about it. Maybe nobody ever told you. Today could be the day you could say, I'm going to pick a one. I'm going to pick one person that is going to know of the joy that I have in Jesus Christ this year. Maybe you would look at our partnerships that we have, both our community partnerships and our partnerships here in North America and around the world. We call these our praise and go partnerships. And you would say, how, how, can, how can I engage in people who have never heard the gospel before? How can I help make sure that people in West Philly and East Africa and in the Appalachian Trail and the Eastern Shore, how, how can I make sure that those people hear the gospel? Because we can't go everywhere, but we can go some places. And we will go there this year, pandemic or no. So th there's both an individual challenge that, that we would all think of this one person that we would pray for and seek to share the gospel with. And by the way, if you've already done that and there's red balls out there in our display, which means that people came to faith through this program, pick a new one. Don't just say, oh, I'm done, I finished. No, 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 pick a new one. Reshare the gospel with someone who's not come to faith yet. But there's also this corporate challenge for us to continue to think about how we join in the mission of God. Because listen, we have good news. We know of the glory of God and of his great salvation. And we are called to proclaim it. Every time I think I talk about the mission of God in this way, I always read Revelation 7. One time I was asked, why, why do you always read that when you talk to us about evangelism and missions? Why, why, do, you, why do you read that? Because it's, it's guaranteed success. <laughs> I mean, if I could promise you something's going to succeed, wouldn't you do it? If I could give you the stock pick for 2021 and say, I promise you this stock's gonna pay off, wouldn't you? Yep, you would, right? Well, this is what Revelation 7 is. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Listen, not everyone that we share the gospel with is going to believe. Not everyone that we tell of this joy of new song in our lives, the salvation and rescue of our savior is going to believe it, but some of them will. And there will be people who are represented here in Revelation chapter 7 who because of the faithfulness of Nansman River Baptist Church will be there on that day because God in his working of salvation uses us for his glory to see people redeemed into his family. But hear me church, there's a timeline. Revelation ends like this. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And then John agrees, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You've probably said that over the last year. As you watch turmoil and strife ravage our land, you probably said these words, come, Lord Jesus. But do you know we should say the term, come, Lord Jesus, in good times and in bad, in persecution and in blessing. No matter what is around us, we should long for the day that we see the face of our Lord where he once and for all judges our world because he will do so in righteousness. He will do so with equity. So there is a timeline. There is an end date to our mission. But that date is obviously not right now, at least. 
So in, whenever that is, until that time, we do what the psalmist paints this picture for us. We worship in our own hearts. We worship as the people of God. We proclaim the good news around the earth, longing for the day of the return of Jesus. Now quickly, here's what's not lost on me. There may be someone sitting in here watching with us online that now you're hearing the good news of Jesus. So can I tell you, on this first Sunday of 2021, you can make the most important decision of your entire life. You can hear the call of the Holy Spirit now as you hear that Jesus died in your place so that you might live and you may find the same joy that so many of us have already found. Joy in Christ, abundant above all else because we go from being one who sees the work of God from an enemy's perspective to one who sees the work of God from the perspective of a friend which causes great joy. Would you come to Jesus today? Turn towards him, repent of your sins and believe so that you might too be saved. Let's pray together. Help us now, God, because we are so often distracted by this world and drawn down into despair that we fail to sing to the Lord a new song because of the great work, marvelous work that you have worked in our salvation. Let us start anew today and let us join in with you on your mission to declare your glory to the nations, we pray. For the one who hears this now and would believe, would you, O oh God, change their hearts in a way that only you can do so that they too may be saved, we pray in Christ's name, amen.